I've uploaded like a thousand or so videos. So by now I do have a pretty good feeling on the audience. And like, sometimes I just know like this thumbnail and title and this topic, it's going to perform well. Or sometimes I know like this one probably won't perform as well, but maybe it'll, it'll, it'll serve a purpose like in the search engine or something. Okay, welcome back to Famous Editors. Today I'm talking to Justin Odisho, who probably needs no introduction. He's one of the most popular YouTubers teaching Premiere, After Effects, and Photoshop. In the 11 years since he started his channel, he's built a community of almost a million subscribers. He's about to cross that mark. Maybe he already has by the time you're watching this. And he has built an amazing business through this channel. So he's also gonna talk about how he built his online store, his podcast, the strategies he's used to grow, things that have worked for him, things that haven't, that you can use in your own social following. And he talks about how to stay ahead of the constantly evolving ecosystem that is YouTube, how to uh, understand the algorithm, how to know what videos are going to resonate with audiences, uh, how to move quickly, how to produce content very efficiently. We're also gonna learn about a TED Talk Justin gave that I think is very relevant to every editor out there. So. Enjoy. I think you're going to learn as much from this as I did. Yeah, my name is Justin Odisho. And uh, for the past four or five years, actually longer than that, I've just been sharing uh, educational um, material on like Photoshop, Premiere Pro, After Effects, all about photo and video editing. That's mostly what people probably know me for, alongside just uh, being interested in sharing online and experimenting in these different social platforms. But yeah, for the most part, people have learned editing from me in some way, maybe. I saw a video of you in a TED talk you gave. I saw uh, you had a photo of yourself as a kid uh, at a computer, I think playing a video game at, at that point. When did you discover editing? And when did you realize how much you loved it and decide to, to teach editing as a career? So I've always been growing up um, on computers and stuff. I think my brother had gotten a copy of Photoshop or After Effects and we were playing a lot of video games and people like to make little shiny graphics of their name or whatever in After Effects with like a firework or something and it was fun like learning how to do little things like that. That's how I got into editing and then how old was I? I don't know 15 or 16 or something like that and then YouTube came out around 2006 and so it's sort of like right timing, right place. And I liked making videos and I wanted, and I enjoyed sharing videos as well. That was what I was currently into was doing Photoshop stuff. So some of my first content on my channel uh, was sharing uh, Photoshop how to's. And so you had that first video uh, doing fake tattoos in Photoshop about six, six years ago. It was 10 years ago, maybe 11, I don't know. And so at that time, what was your goal with this channel? So I actually had been posting on YouTube before this channel that I created. So I made this channel in like 2011. So that's somewhere around 10 plus 10, 10 years or more. I actually had already been posting on YouTube and making videos and editing since like 2007 ish. Uh, and, and what was happening was I kept getting copyright striped for having music in my videos, or I was just experimenting with like, what sort of stupid stuff you could post on YouTube and, and just seeing like how it works. Like you post something, you get views, you might share it to a forum or something. I was just sort of learning. I don't even know when Reddit came out, but it wasn't that popular and there was forums and I was just sort of interested in 
this sort of dynamic of audience building. Um, so then the reason I started the channel with the Photoshop stuff was just because my other channel kept getting copyright stuff. And so I thought, what is a safe form of content for me that I can upload content, have fun sharing stuff, but it's safe and viable. That was sort of my thought process. And so I thought it seems like people like pho Photoshop stuff and I like doing Photoshop and no one's going to copyright strike me for that. So that's why I did the first stuff just like. It was one of my skills was I knew Photoshop. So I said, my first video was like, okay, here's me Photoshopping a tattoo. And then in the next one, well, the first one didn't have any voiceover. And then in the next one I said, okay, well, like, why don't I talk about what I'm doing and share the steps and make it educational rather than just a demonstration. So on this journey to almost a million subscribers and over 110 million views, what have been the major milestones? When did you celebrate along the way? I'd say, a hundred thousand was probably like one of the most major milestones through my dabbling with like the Photoshop stuff, even just as a hobby, I had already built up, I think maybe like 20 to 30 or 40,000 subscribers. So I had somewhat of a knack of doing this whole YouTube thing. I mean, back then there was no monetization there. I wasn't thinking about making a business. Like it's much different than how it is now where people do it purposefully to try to make a career out of it. I didn't really quite know what I was doing. I just enjoyed doing it. And then around the time I was graduating college, I, I was doing a lot of random freelancing, part-time jobs. I was just getting frustrated with working for other people. And so I gave it a, a dedicated effort to work on my channel daily and try to see if I can make some sort of business opportunity out of it. The video editing content that I made really stuck and that shot me up to 100,000 subscribers pretty quickly. I think it was a good combination of timing and just already have been on the right path and think a lot of people wanted to get into video editing around 2017 and it's growing still. And so just from the momentum there, I, I released my own products on my website. I found different ways to monetize myself and thankfully been able to uh, do it as a business since around 2017, but I still got to keep working, you know? Oh yeah. You put out so many videos. It, it, it's an amazing, amazing pace you're working at. How do you pick your topics and how often do you know when a video is going to be a big hit? How often are you surprised by something either going, you know, viral or not performing as well? I keep a running note list of topics. And one thing I think I, is necessary, uh, that helped me a lot is uh, like I actively sit down and think of video ideas. So sometimes I'll do research. I'll look at, you know, what's popular in a music video, or sometimes people will send me a comment question and I think that'd be a good video. Sometimes I see what's performing well on similar channels and in a different spin I could put on it or different programs. Um, so I actively try to generate and keep a list of ideas that just pop in my head. And if, if I didn't write them down, I would never be able to remember them all. And then when I'm working, I can sit down and think like, which one would be a good idea for today. I can go find all the footage and put the project together, see if it works. Uh, as far as what I've uploaded like a thousand or so videos. So by now I do have a pretty good feeling on the audience. And like, sometimes I just know like this thumbnail and title and this topic, it's going to perform well. Or sometimes I know like this one probably won't perform as well, but maybe it'll, it'll, it'll serve a purpose like in the search engine or something. 
sometimes I'm, I'm surprised some, some random video that I thought wasn't going to do anything. I made it just as a filler video, gets a million views. Sometimes I make a video, I think it's going to get a million views and it doesn't get any views, but sometimes, you know. So what are those principles that seem to work with thumbnails and titles in your experience? Well, being on YouTube for so many years, it's actually been changing more and more throughout the years. You know, in the beginning, it used to be just pack as many keywords in there as possible, like how to XYZ 2020, high quality, high definition. Now I feel like the, the algorithm is more, uh, I feel like simplicity and then directing it towards a human audience is what I'm experimenting with. So like, I mean, you always have the basics. It's, it's actually quite a skill, like copywriting a good title. So like a, a simple how-to, you know, it's, it's a classic for centuries, like how to tie your shoes. That's always going to work. But you can always experiment with like a list topics do well, like five tips for X, Y, Z, or five ways to do that. That's always seems to do well because it piques curiosity. Um, so I've been trying more and more like to see what happens if I keep it simple keep it clickable. And then as far as the thumbnail of faces, not keep uh, keeping it simple as well, but like you got to remember it's going to show up small on like a phone screen. So you got to not cram in too many little words and things. Just keep it bright, colorful, maybe a face, simple, symmetrical. It's a science. I don't know. Yeah, that's great. What have been the biggest challenges for you along the way? And, and have you ever considered quitting? Or, or trying something different? And, and what did you learn from that experience? I'd say just maintaining, just constantly, sometimes you go through phases of burnout because it's like you're a one-man team and you have to do everything from like sitting there and thinking the title, making the video, recording the video, editing the video, us coming up with the products to sell, working with brands, everything. There's no guarantee of um, that you're gonna make a living, you know, you're. You just uh, sort of have to keep making content and, and keep keep uh, keeping up with the changing algorithm and the changing pace. So I'd say just trying to like, just the consistency over many years of trying to remain relevant and, and finding an audience is, is quite a challenge. I mean, I'm on like year five now, you know, the algorithm is changing. There's lots of things that are changing and you can't just rest on your laurels. Like, yeah, like once a subscriber is a real person and those people come and go, they may have wanted to learn editing in 2019 and currently they're not so active and wanting to learn editing. So you gotta keep finding new people. You can't rest on your previous work. Tell me about uh, this, this career, this lifestyle that you've built for yourself. There's a lot of great, great things about it. Um, I've worked many regular jobs and the great thing about this is although I do everything myself, I also do everything myself. Like I don't have to wake up at a particular time. I don't have to answer to it. Well, I, you know, I do still have responsibilities. I have to answer to the audience, but I don't necessarily have to answer to anyone. It's a very flexible schedule. If I want to work at midnight, if I have uh, something to do at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, that's nice. I've separated my time and my effort and so like when i make a video or when i make a thousand videos like the video i make today will still be there next year and the year after that there is a challenge with software tutorials where 
that software might get outdated in like five-ish years. So there's some sort of shelf life, but rather than going to work for one day and then your effort only lasts while you're working, the effort compounds on itself, I think, which is nice. Mm, that's great. And how are you going to evolve the channel as, as time passes? Where, where will you go from here? I, I think I'm always wanting to experiment more. You know, people's interests change, you know, perhaps in a few years, their Premiere or Adobe won't be the, the editor or perhaps like there would be some, I mean, we already see it now with like vertical content and short form content um, and, and mobile creating, like people just want to create in mobile. So I always think I have to keep experimenting and try and keep up with what will be viable. But yeah, I mean, you always have to keep creating content. I think it all comes down to just continually creating content. You know, you can't make one video and sit on it for 10 years. You have to make, keep going. Right. And, and I see how you've really embraced shorts. You're putting out a ton of shorts, uh, but even with these short videos, you're packing in a ton of information and, and they're really polished. How have those performed for you? And how do you balance these efforts to continue producing your, your sort of standard, you know, like the traditional videos that you make with experimenting with shorts or other formats? Yeah, so the shorts is like a new experiment. I have a sort of love-hate relationship with them. Like, I, and I find myself watching them. Personally, I think it's probably, it's probably overall like damaging to society that we just keep scrolling on like these short attention that sucking things that are just designed to like sort of clickbait you in some way and probably don't provide much long lasting value. And part of me like doesn't want to contribute to that, <laughs> to, to that, but it also, you know, I think that's what a lot of uh, YouTube is really pushing it. And I would not be doing my job to not at least try to see if I could grow my channel in this way, or if I could find a new audience in this way or see, see what it's like. So nothing is performed amazingly well, but also I have such a large catalog of videos that it's like, I can take some of my longer videos, cut them down into shorts. And, uh, it's like, it's, it's more economical or, or like, it's, it's like recycling almost in a good way. Do you find that that algorithm reaches a new audience? Are you finding different types of growth? audience growth with the shorts? It's performing okay so far. It's definitely not. I think it's uh, it's being pushed. So I think it's being pushed in the search. I think it's being pushed on the homepage. So I definitely do think if you, I haven't done it long enough to, 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 to figure out much, but I think if I made like 100 or 200 shorts, I definitely see some good results because I've only done like a couple dozen. Are you putting them on TikTok as well? I originally did some TikToks as an experiment, but, you know, as one person, I could only handle so many platforms at once. Some people do hire help and whatnot, but I didn't really go too too much on TikTok, although many people probably built a great audience using TikTok. But so I, I had some experience with it, but now I'm sort of seeing what, what the YouTube shorts will do and hoping that it'll lead people to come back to the channel and subscribe and go to the longer form content as well. Awesome. Well, this series, this podcast series is about, uh, it's dedicated to helping editors, passionate editors find the, the perfect career for themselves. 
uh, and illuminating paths that that we might not know existed, and showing the success stories. You know, talking about the the tactics and, and the strategies that people use to get there. You, uh, in that great TED talk uh, that you gave uh, a few years ago, you talk. Uh, it's called "Be Who You Are." Uh, and you had some really interesting notes in there that I think resonate with people, uh, you know, far outside the, the editing community. Consider what you haven't considered is something you said. What does that mean to you? Hmm. It's been a while since the TED talk, but, uh, I think one, I am still proud of the TED talk. I haven't really watched that. I don't really like watching myself on camera. Um, but I think I still agree with most of what I said there. And, uh, I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of us think like, uh, we assume these things, like, like like you said, jobs that you might not have known existed. So even now, like talking about short form content and YouTube thumbnails, I seen a young kid on Twitter and he was making a living making thumbnails for a lot of the top YouTubers. And uh, and he, he might have been only 16 or 17, I don't know. And, and he's making just, he's making all these thumbnails, all these big YouTubers want to work with him. And it's like, he probably didn't consider that, you know, when you, maybe when I was thinking about what I was going to do when I'm older, you always think like, okay, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to like, just get some, there's just like this vague idea of some real job that you're going to get. And we don't consider all of these weird, like new jobs and opportunities that don't fit into that traditional idea of what you assume. What are some other ideas, other career paths for editors that you see opening up? Uh, and, and how do you think this role is going to evolve in the coming years? I hired someone just sort of like freelance to help me take my old videos and turn some of them into shorts. And now that everyone wants to make video, or at least like a lot of companies and a lot of people want to get into video, a lot of people need video editors um, A lot of, in all different areas like uh, long form social media type of work. A lot of people are looking for just video in general is booming. And so you have a great podcast of your own. And before we started recording, we chatted for a second about uh, things you've learned along the way. What can you teach me about running a good podcast? Well, I don't know if I could teach you about running a good one, but I have conducted like, I don't know, 30 or something interviews. One, I, I ramble a lot. I still ramble. I rambled in this interview because I haven't done one in a while. Um, but I think I learned to be a better listener. Like sometimes I would have something to say and then they would talk and I would think of something good to say and then they would sort of go on to a next point and I would, and I would cut off everything they're saying just so I could bring up that, that point that I wanted. <laughs> sometimes, you know, you lose a good point and, and you gotta just like listen to what they were saying. Yeah. 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 How do you pick your guests? You have some really amazing editors on your show. How do you choose them? Some of them came to my inbox. Some of them were people that I personally found interesting and reached out to them, mutual connections, colleagues. I'm not actively doing it so much anymore, but a mix of those for the most part, I would say it's people that I find interesting, whether they're an editor or not. You've built this, you have this huge viewership around the world. Uh, I was looking at, at your uh, audience breakdown uh, and it's amazing how wide that reaches. In that TED talk, you mentioned that you have a lot of friends around the world from this, ex this experience of building this channel. Tell me about that. What, what opportunities has this channel created? And, and tell me about how you've, uh, like the doors that it's opened for you. 
Yeah, one amazing thing, like along with the flexibility and whatnot, is is that you know, I have colleagues and friends. Like I know someone if I'm in California or Toronto or New York, um, and I'm sure like other places. I mean, I haven't been everywhere in the world, but it's nice to feel like uh, no matter what room you're in, you possibly have some sort of connection or something to bring to the table. And especially in many industries, like uh, it's always nice. Like for, as a side note, uh, I've gotten really into playing chess and I <laughs> lately, it's probably why I haven't been uploading that much. And I went to a chess tournament and actually there's a lot of chess YouTubers. Um, they have lots of subscribers. They have like mil a million subscribers. They get tons of viewership. And, and I have nothing in common with them except for, I could I still have something to bring to the table and say like, oh, hey, um, I, like I, I, I follow your podcast. Uh, I also have a channel. I also do uh, podcasts or like, I'm a, I know editing if you ever need anything in Photoshop or Premiere. It's like always a valuable skill to open doors and, and, and bring to the table. And people are all, people are usually, but I don't know what I would say if it was just like, oh, I, I work uh, at this job that I got from my degree. Like, do you need any IT work on your website? I don't know if it would be the same. What got you into chess? Do you play online, like chess.com or how do you? My brother like challenged me a few years ago to like just, I don't know, maybe it was, I don't know why he just like sent me a like let's play and I was losing and I didn't want to lose and then I got like completely uh, insanely addicted and now I like study it and it's, it's sort of weird maybe I want to be a coach that's awesome uh, are, are you into documentaries would you ever use your filmmaking skills to make a, a film about chess oh I, I mean I'm open actually um it's been a cool networking thing because at the local chess club and a couple of, that's another thing, like, you know, even at the local chess club, like none of them are YouTubers, none of them are like on online much, but you know, I know one of the, one of the guys, like they, they like teach at, a, at like local academies and stuff. And, and even then it's like, what do you do? And then he's like, oh, we actually need a documentary, like to follow the kids around and to show like what we do so we can show it to other academies. So speaking of jobs that we were talking about earlier, creative jobs for editors, like I think if you have these skills, it seems like there's lots of people that want video and want these sort of skills. Um, personally, I, I my, my uh, skills are more so on the editing and the software side. I can use a camera, I can shoot. And I like making stuff and sharing stuff, but I would say that to define myself as an editor is like, I don't really know what to define myself as. I just most notably have made like a thousand editing software <laughs> tutorials. So that's what a lot of people like know me for. And it's sort of been a business. Learned so much, like, like seeing you fly through these tutorials. And I was like, oh my God, he's a, he's a master. How do you educate yourself? When you find something that you want to figure out how to do, what's your process for learning before you teach? I've always found editing sort of to be like riding a bike because I did learn when I was young and it all seems similar, you know, like, you know, it's all been the same, you know, from when I was editing like silly little video game videos, of course, like the, the softwares are evolving and there's still stuff that I don't know, like the very technical, I was just Googling some really technical issue about like frame rate and drop frames and 
you know, why they're 59.99 instead of like, why do they round them that way? This stuff, I don't know. This is just like how the, the analog transfers to, to the digital. But the basics, like, I guess I just learned them once. And then also through teaching, it's like, I, I created a lesson plan and an example project and ran through it and recorded it every day. It's like, it, it keeps you sharp and it keeps you active. Um, like teaching is one of the best ways to learn. Yeah, no, that that's great. Uh, and, and what are your favorite movies? Uh, and do you have anything to say about the editing in, in those movies? Um, it's been a while. I was at one point, I was trying to watch like the top IMDb, the IMDb like top list just to like, cool, you know, yeah. educate myself, be more cultured in film. But, you know, I like all the, all the good ones. I guess like, you know, what are you going to say? Fight Club. That's a good one. I actually don't watch movies that much recently. I don't know. I'd have to open up the list, but I, I, I probably, like, there's no like weird one. They're all classics. They're all stuff that's probably highly rated. That's great. What, uh, is there a good movie you've seen recently that, that I might be missing? I watched Elvis yesterday. I thought it was great. Um, I saw Nope last week, that new Jordan Peele film. Did you I, watch that? Uh, I like the Johnny Cash movie, actually. That's a great one, Walk the Line. Yeah, I like that one. I'm such a fan of Jordan Peele in general because of the amount of symbolism, it's like layered symbolism. So after finishing Nope, uh, I was talking about it with a, a friend I saw it with, and we realized like all these seemingly random plot points or, or things that you feel are just there to advance the story are actually like totally connected into this like symbolism of like, uh, voyeurship and like observation and there's like I there's like the single eye theme like keeps appearing throughout the whole movie I don't want to give it away but uh, really brilliant I don't know who does his editing or how involved Jordan Peele is but boy the sound design in that movie is just mind-blowing what is your experience with sound design and what tools do you use and and what advice do you have for people who are passionate about sound design I wouldn't call myself uh, an expert uh, in the field of audio and sound at all, but, um, you know, I, I've taught a few things and tricks like, you know, how to make an underwater sound effect, or I think everyone just needs to know the basics of like, you know, levels and decibels and peaking and like fading in and out and whatnot. And, and there's some, there's some, like, there's even some transition techniques, like, L cuts and J cuts where the audio comes in first. But as far as like making sounds like with the aluminum foil and stuff like that, uh, I, I probably wouldn't be the right guy. What, what advice do you have for editors? Uh, passionate about, about editing, but uh, you know, th there's a career they have in mind that, that they need to work toward. What inspiration and, and practical advice can you give them? Like I, I couldn't act like everyone is going to find some weird niche like internet career as, as I've been able to do for a handful of years, who knows how long it will go. But I do think everyone could benefit from having a like hard skill set in like knowing a software very well. Like everyone would benefit from knowing Photoshop, um, no matter what job you're in, probably. Um, everyone would benefit from Maybe not everyone, but then, uh, you know, as an editor, besides equipment, just like your knowledge, like have the basic equipment and the basic softwares and tools, but then like your knowledge on even like what we're talking about with films, like th there's no limit, I think, to how increasing your skills and knowledge could 
increase your earning potential, I think, career-wise. What do you think uh, the future of the software uh, options are going to look like? So what I'm getting at is how, so someone who's learning editing right now, how do you evaluate Premiere versus DaVinci versus Final Cut versus Avid? What advice do you have? I actually learned most of my video editing in Sony Vegas at first. Adobe is nice because there isn't necessarily a direct equivalent to like After Effects and there is Photoshop alternatives, but you know, there isn't such a direct equivalent and they have them and they have all of them. It's sort of like they have this monopoly. Wait, I probably shouldn't say that, but um, I know lots of great editors that use Final Cut and it seems, it seems like everyone wants to make a video called I switched to DaVinci lately, or I don't know if DaVinci is paying people or what. I think, like I said, video editing is like, is like riding a bike to me. It seems like it doesn't matter what softwares you go to. I mean, a cut is still going to be a cut. Um, I'm more worried about, or not worried, but I feel like, is it ever going to get to a point where like, what is going to become obsoleted by just like some app on your phone that just does a lot of stuff for you? That's what I would be thinking about. Like, what can you, what skills can you have that are not going to be just replaced by some automatic tool? That's actually something I wanted to ask you. How, in the age of AI, with more and more of the technical work being performed by the software, how do people uh, protect themselves against being obsolete? I actually had a, like a little random video I posted on my channel about this. Maybe people can find it. But I think, though, although AI will probably do a lot of things that will be helpful, like just make masking better or automatic, or maybe like syncing to music some more automatic, I don't think that a, a robot, for, for us, this will be funny if I'm wrong. I don't think that it'll be uh, able to do the human portion of like storytelling. So like, when do you cut, not like, how do you cut the shot, but like, when do you cut the shot? How is an AI gonna necessarily decide that? I don't know. Arranging clips in an order that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. This is great. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, excited to see these courses uh, and really appreciate you coming on.